The book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that's on page 1077 if you're using a pew Bible and unfamiliar with the book of Acts. Book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, page 1077. We put the Gospel of John sermon series on hold for a second week now as we're doing a brief study of uh, the topic of, of church growth. As I said last Sunday, every church should be a growing church. That if a church is going to be faithful to Jesus and try to follow the scriptures and uh, be faithful to the gospel, I believe by definition that church will become a growing church. Of course, then it remains to be said, what do we mean by a growing church? How does one define that phrase? And uh, last Sunday we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, which talks about the fact that we should be growing up into Christ, that if a church is following Jesus, it should be becoming more and more like him, Uh, that, that we should be building ourselves up into Christ as a church, we should be growing up into maturity in Christ. That means, uh, number one, knowing him, like we were just singing about in that song, knowing him more and more, and then becoming like him as we get to know Jesus, that our character is slowly being refined into Christ's image. So, so there's an upward growth into Christ that should be happening, but there's another type of growth that I think we see in the Bible that, that should be part of a growing church, and that is an outward kind of growth. There is a sort of pushing out into the world with the message about Christ. So just as we grow up into Christ, we also are going out talking about Christ and sharing about Christ. In other words, it's not just that the church should be growing in health, but the church should also be going in in mission out into the world. So there's a, a vertical axis of Christian maturity that should always be going on. And then there's kind of a horizontal axis of church mission as we're supposed to be taking the word of Jesus and the news about Jesus to the whole world. So I want to look today at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which I think hits on this theme of the outward growth of the gospel. But but it's not just a theme. I want to argue this morning that chapter 1 verse 8 is in some ways a summary of the entire narrative of Acts, that, that if you want to know what the whole book of Acts is about, you know, last Sunday we looked at the whole book of Ephesians, what's it all about? Well, this Sunday, the whole book of Acts, it's about verse 8. It's about the outward spread of the gospel. So I think in some ways, chapter 1, verse 8 is kind of a little cliff notes that tells us where this whole book is going. So hopefully today we'll learn something about Acts and we'll also learn something about this horizontal dimension of the growth of the church. So let me read this passage, and actually I'm going to read verses 6 through 11 just to give a little background, and then we'll focus on verse 8. So when they met together, verse 6, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After, this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. 
Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Anyone else eager to see that? So here's Jesus after his resurrection. He's saying his final goodbyes to the disciples, and they want to know, okay, is this it? Is this the end? He rose from the dead. Is this it? Nope. Don't worry about it. That's not your focus. Don't focus on the time and the wins and the dates. I want you to focus on a task that I'm giving you. And there's the task in verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is that outward growth of the gospel, the outward growth of the message of Jesus. And again, I want to argue it is acts in a nutshell there in verse 8. So let's just kind of work our way through verse 8. And I'd like to do it in three uh, segments. Take verse 8 and break it into three parts and just kind of ruminate on each one a little bit and see if we can get a sense of what this dimension of gospel growth is all about. So we'll start in verse 8 with the Holy Spirit. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. One of the major themes of the book of Acts is God's power being poured out and exercised through the Holy Spirit. The gospel, uh, or the book of Acts has the Holy Spirit in it again and again. It's just soaked with the work of the Holy Spirit. You might even go so far as to say that just as Jesus is the central actor of the Gospels, so the Holy Spirit is the central actor of the book of Acts, except that the whole point of the Holy Spirit's acting is to point people to Jesus. So I think Jesus is still the focus. But, but the Holy Spirit is moving through the book of Acts. He's blowing through the book of Acts. And so God is empowering, Jesus is empowering the outward growth of the gospel through the Holy Spirit. Just as, remember last Sunday if you were here, we saw that the upward maturity of the church to know Christ more was accomplished as Jesus himself was pouring out grace into the church. So Jesus here again is risen, and now he's pouring out the Spirit, not only to grow us up, but also to push us out with the gospel. So we see the risen Jesus confidently and and triumphantly pouring out his Holy Spirit into the church to accomplish this. And so you look at the book of Acts, and there's, there's the Holy Spirit everywhere. I mean, it would take all, all day to just look at every instance of the Spirit's work in Acts. Let me just point out a couple. You know, you turn to the very next chapter. We're going to jump around in Acts a little bit today, so be ready to flip pages. But you look in the next chapter, Acts chapter 2. What is that? The day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes on the church, on the Jewish festival of Pentecost. All the believers start speaking in tongues, other languages. People hear it. They're going, what is going on? How, how is it I'm hearing my own language? And Peter, the Apostle Peter, takes that opportunity to stand up and preach. And he preaches the gospel. He tells them about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit so works on that crowd that literally thousands of people are cut to the heart. And they repent and believe. You know, in one day, in one sermon, the church goes from like 150 people to 3,000 people. It's like insta-mega church. It just explodes. And there's all these believers And you go, how did that happen? It was the power of the Holy Spirit opening up the hearts of people. Uh, I I don't know if you've ever seen a mass conversion like that in your life. But I'll tell you this. 
if you've ever seen anybody converted to faith in Christ, it was the same power of the Holy Spirit opening their hearts and their minds. You may have never seen conversions on that scale, but you've seen the work of the Spirit because he opens our hearts. He brings us to life so that we can believe. But it's not just the, the hearers, the people hearing about Jesus who need the work of the Holy Spirit. Those of us who are talking about him need the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the big reasons is because we're kind of chicken. We're kind of scared. We're timid. We don't like to talk about it. You know, I mean, you're raised here. You, you know, one of the things you learn in New England growing up here is, look, religion is private. Right? It's private. You don't talk about it. If you're going to talk about something, better talk about politics before religion. You know, we don't talk about that. It's personal. It's private. But it's, it's not private here. The Holy Spirit gives people boldness to speak about Jesus. For instance, look at chapter 4. There's uh, Peter and John who wrote the Gospel of John. They get in trouble. They go to jail. They get let out. They come back to the church. You can imagine the church might be a little intimidated. But instead, they pray for boldness. So if you look at verse 27 of chapter 4, here's uh, Peter and John praying for boldness, for courage. And so here's their prayer. They say, indeed, they're praying to God. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, what happened? The place where their meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, what? Spoke the word of God boldly. So the Holy Spirit filled them. What, did they, did they lose the Spirit? Didn't they get it at Pentecost? Yes, they had the Holy Spirit. But, but they experienced a fresh, um, a, a fresh surge of the Spirit's power in their life. Something happened, so they were renewed, and they became more courageous and more direct and more bold in being willing to talk to people about Jesus. And so we, we need the Holy Spirit for this work. The Holy Spirit's got to open people's hearts the Holy Spirit's got to make us courageous enough to speak up and not be our timid selves. The Holy Spirit directs the whole thing. It's all His thing. You know, look at chapter 13. Just ch- check out chapter 13. We're jumping way ahead now in the story. Now we're way past Jerusalem. We're into the, the Gentile mission of the church. And there in chapter 13, we see Saul, who used to be a murderous Uh, Christian persecutor and Christ-hater. He's now become a teacher of the church. He's been converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there in Acts chapter 13, he's praying in in a city called Antioch. And it says in chapter 13, verse 1, in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Get this, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I don't know how the Holy Spirit said that. Uh, Maybe it's one of the prophets in the room. Who knows? We don't know. We just know that. The point is the Holy Spirit is pushing this thing on. The Holy Spirit calls them. The Holy Spirit is going to send them. And so they went, look at verse 4, the two of them sent on their way by 
the Holy Spirit went to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So, so you get a sense in Acts that the Holy Spirit is moving this whole plan along. You, you know, the, uh, the church didn't spread throughout the Roman Empire because there were like three guys on a steering committee who were just crazy skilled at strategic planning. You know, it's, it's not some guys got in the room and they're like, okay, we're going to hit the population centers. We're going to, we're going to go here and there. That's a major city because that's a crossroads. We'll go there and we'll do this and that. And all right, now here's the spreadsheet. Here's the timetable. Here's the, uh, you know, the project management plan with the, the dates and the deliverables. Okay, we got it. We're going to have this empire conquered in 50 years if we stay on target. It wasn't like that. They're just praying and the Holy Spirit starts sending people out. There's a sense of, of God's orchestration, even along with human thinking and planning. But you get throughout Acts the sense of divine orchestration in different ways as the Holy Spirit sends. So it's, it's God who's doing this work. Just as we need the power of the Holy Spirit to grow up, we need the whole power of the Holy Spirit to go out and to speak about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit of eternal value and, and for God's glory. We need the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is just the Spirit of Jesus. It's the Spirit of Christ poured out upon us. So we need the Spirit. How do you, how do you get the Spirit? I mean, well, you know, you have to be a Christian, but okay, I'm a Christian. How, how do I have more of that Spirit's work in my life? And Well, that's a whole other sermon series, I think. But let me just say one thing, one observation, and we'll move on. We need to be people of prayer. You'll notice in all of these passages, that's another theme in Acts, prayer prayer. It's a praying church. It's a praying church. You know, the, the apostles get out of jail. They get together and they pray. And after they pray, the room is shaken. They're, they're sitting there in Antioch trying to figure out what the next steps are for the gospel. And somehow, we don't know how the Holy Spirit speaks to them, but they were praying and they were fasting. And so we have to be a people of prayer. If, if we don't feel like we're growing and we don't feel like God's working in our lives and we never pray, it's like, well, you you know, we need to ask. We need to seek the Lord. Lord, I need a greater work in my life. God, I'm really stuck here. I'm trapped in sin. I'm cowardly. Lord, I, I need you. You know, it's like, I, I know I want to talk to my family, but my family, the last thing they want to hear is about Jesus. This is like, you know, talking to a wall. You know, so I've got to pray. Lord, you've got to do a work here. I don't know how long it's going to take you, God, but I'm just going to pray until your spirit blows where it wills. One of my favorite verses on prayer in the Bible. I love this verse. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, where Jesus is teaching on prayer. And this is what he says. Jesus said, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You're like, no one would do that. Then this gives them to this, verse 13. If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit 
if you just ask him for more of the Spirit's power. That sounds like a, like a guarantee. The Holy Spirit to those who ask. So we need the Holy Spirit. This outward movement of, of the gospel, the outward growth of the church, just like the upward growth of the church is dependent upon the grace and power of God. But we have a role to play too. We have, a, we have a task. We have a part to play in the process. Just as we have a part to play in growing up, which is that we have to encourage each other with God's word and love each other. So there's something we have to play. Our part in the, the mission outward is to be witnesses. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's look at the second little leg of this, this text. It says, you'll receive power, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. So our part is that we have to go out and be witnesses for Jesus. You know, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. I'm a witness. I'm here to testify and to witness to something. And we're here to witness to Jesus and to describe who he is and to tell people about him boldly. To share about Jesus with people. As you look at the book of Acts, not only is the book of Acts filled with the flow of the Holy Spirit, but it's also filled with the witness of the church. Uh, you, you know, this book is, is chock full of little sermons. Just sermon, little sermon, little summaries, after, one after another. The whole book has all these little vignettes of guys preaching and sharing about Jesus or explaining Jesus to somebody. It, it, the whole book is this kind of record of early witnessing that took place in, in the early church. Uh, passage after passage. And so it's not only the story of the Holy Spirit's work, it's also the story of the gospel's spread. And, and so there's this thread that runs through about the growth of the Word of God, the growth of the gospel, the growth of people going out and speaking about Jesus. Uh, for, for instance, look at, um, let me just show you a couple of verses. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Here's the story of the uh, the, the church appointing the seven, as some would say, these are the, the first de, uh, deacons of the church. And after the apostles have appointed the deacons to take care of the physical needs of the widows so that the apostles could focus on prayer and preaching, look what happens, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The, the witnessing in the word spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Or look at chapter 12, verse 24. Here's a story about uh, Herod, King Herod, finally getting his comeuppance for persecuting the gospel and persecuting the Christians. And he's killed. And right after he dies, verse 24 in Acts 12, it says, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. So that's the story of Acts. It's the spread and increase of the gospel. Or look at Acts chapter 19, verse 20. Here's a story of uh, a big revival that took place in the church in Ephesus. I so wish I could just dive into all of these backstories, but I'm trying to keep moving here. So I'm reining myself in. Acts chapter 19, verse 20. Here's a story of, of the church in Ephesus where people were convicted, and there was like a revival in the church where the Christians who are kind of living this double life, they're worshiping Jesus, but they're also practicing, you know, magic and, and sorcery and things. They all repented and brought their magic documents into a big pile and burned them, got rid of it. Big revival in the church. And what happened as a result? 
chapter 19, verse 20. In this way, the word of God, the word of the Lord, spread widely and grew in power. So it's the story of the growth of the church. Everywhere we look in Acts, people are going out, talking about Jesus. The word of Jesus is spreading. News about Jesus is spreading from one place to the next. And it grows and grows and increases in power. And what is that message? What is the message about Jesus? It is that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. And now whoever believes in him can be forgiven and have eternal life. That's, that's the summary. It's really interesting. If you, you know, if you want to dig into Acts sometimes, just look through all those little sermons in Acts. You find at some point in the sermon you typically see that formula. Jesus crucified, buried, and raised for our sins, and those who believe in him are forgiven. For instance, let me just show you one, then we'll move on to the last part here. But look at Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. Here's an example of the witnessing. Acts chapter 13, verse 26. This is Paul in a synagogue speaking to his fellow Jews. And he says in verse 26 of Acts 13, Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. So there's the crucifixion. There's the burial. Verse 30, resurrection. God raised him up from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who have traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. There's witnesses. And so you have death, burial, resurrection, people witnessing. And those who believe, what happens? Jump down to verse 38. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know, here's our response, that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified. In other words, is declared right in God's sight from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. If you believe in Jesus and put your faith in him as Messiah and Savior, you know, you'll be forgiven and you'll be saved. Like the song we were singing, you know, God is a Savior. He can move the mountains. God can forgive you. All the stuff you couldn't be justified from under the law of Moses. Look, he's telling his, his fellow Jews, you can't be right with God just by trying to be a good Jew. Just by trying to keep the Ten Commandments, it's not going to work because we, we don't keep God's laws. We sin. You know, you can't be right with God just by trying to be a good Catholic. You won't be right with God just by trying to be a good Baptist. You can't be right with God by trying to be a good citizen because we fall short and God is holy. And so God in his mercy has sent Jesus so that everyone who stops believing in their own goodness and believes in Jesus instead and trusts in him, it says there is a promise of forgiveness and a right relationship with God, including the Holy Spirit in your life. It's an incredible promise. That's the gospel. It's the gospel message. And it's available for us today just as much as it was for them back then. The same gospel. And so the Holy Spirit empowers it. We go out and we witness. 
And now go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and let me just show you the last thing here, this last thought, is that that witness is a, a geographically progressive witness. It, it is a, uh, a geographically expanding witness. It goes further and further and further out into the world. It says in verse 8, you'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it starts in Jerusalem. That's where they were when the story was being told. It starts right where you are. But then you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, which would be what? The province right around Jerusalem, that Roman province. And Samaria, which would have been the province to the north of Judea. Now at this point, maybe the disciples are scratching their heads a little bit because Samaria, if you've been studying the Gospel of John with us, you know how the Jews felt about Samaritans. You know, they looked down on them. The Jews kind of considered the Samaritans kind of half-breeds. They're sort of like half-Jew, half-Gentile. They had a, a messed up, kind of deformed Judaism. They, they only believed the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't believe anything after that. So, you know, the Jews kind of looked down on the Samaritans like, you guys are half-baked. You know, th- this is not, you, know, kind of, you kind of have it, but you totally don't. So, what's your problem? And, and now Jesus is like, you're going to be my witnesses there. Whoa. But buckle up also to the ends of the earth, which is Old Testament language for the Gentiles. Like, what? You want us to go to the goyim? You want us to go to the Gentiles, the unclean? You know, oy vey, I, I don't want to go there to talk to the Gentiles. No, no, you're going to the Gentiles. And so then, that little progression, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, becomes a, a very, I would call, a rough table of contents for the book of Acts. If you want to follow the progression of Acts, it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth is how the book progresses. So, for instance, chapters 1 through 7... It all takes place in Jerusalem. It's all Jerusalem. And it's great. People are getting saved. They preach one sermon and there's 3,000 people. How awesome is that? How was church this weekend? Ah, pretty good. Had a few people become Christians. Oh, really? How many? Ah, Like 3,000. Yeah. Pretty awesome church, yeah. Really? Who's preaching there? Ah, actually we have 12 preachers. They're uh, all guys who hung out with Jesus. Wow. <laughs> you know, everyone's selling their stuff. They're giving to the poor. It's like this really loving. It's, it's crazy. You should come to my church. It's like, wow. And it's growing and growing. It's like 3,000, 5,000. The priests are coming. It's growing rapidly. What an awesome church. Everyone loved the church in Jerusalem except the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because instead of becoming a, a mission-sending church, it had become a cul-de-sac and people were going in it, but no one was going out. And so they forgot the whole mission. And so at some point in this, the Holy Spirit just takes the whole board game and throws it on the ground. And all the pieces scatter everywhere. Look how it happens. Look at chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the story of the first Christian martyr, a man named Stephen. And surprise, surprise, most of chapter 7 is a sermon where he shares the gospel. Typical Acts. And after Stephen is killed, that very day that he's martyred, all hell breaks loose upon the church. 
a, a gospel-crushing persecution is unleashed. The Apostle Paul, a, a Christian murderer, a, a Christ-hater, starts bringing persecution against the church. Before he's an apostle, he was Saul. And look what happened. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, the day of Stephen's persecution, that very day that the floodgates are open, and a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, that awesome church, and all except the apostles were scattered where? Throughout Judea, Samaria. That's not accidental. Judea, Samaria. You know, thousands of Christians running for their lives from Jerusalem out into Judea. So I'm like, why did they go there? I'll look down at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So you got all these Christians, ah, run for your lives. Go find some relatives out there. Go stay with someone. Go hide. You know, what are you doing here? Oh, they're, they're trying to kill me in Jerusalem. What? Why are they trying to kill you in Jerusalem? Oh, it's, uh, well, uh, it's because, you know, I've, I've come to believe in Jesus. Jesus? Well, yeah, let me tell you about him. And it just happens. The, you know, the, the, the preaching happens. And then the, the apostles, they even go to Samaria. The Samaritans get preached to. And the Samaritans start believing in Jesus. So the apostles come and pray for the Samaritans. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit comes on the Samaritans. So there's a Samaritan Pentecost. You have the Jewish Pentecost. Then you have a Samaritan Pentecost. And then in chapter 10, it comes to the Gentiles. And there's a Gentile Pentecost. Again, it's a Holy Spirit thing. There's this Gentile named Cornelius, and he's praying to the God of Israel. He wants to follow the God of Israel. He's not a Jew. He hasn't been circumcised, but he's, he's a faithful, God-fearing Gentile. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, you need to find a guy named Peter. Okay. So he sends guys to find Peter. Peter's praying, and God speaks to Peter. Peter, some guy's coming for you. It's cool. Go with him. That's cliff notes. And so Peter, Peter goes. And Peter and Cornelius meet each other, and it's like, oh, what am I doing? I don't know. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. And then he hears the gospel, and right there, Cornelius is saved, and his whole family begins to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit is poured out. And so it's a Gentile Pentecost, again, to mark the progression of the next phase. And that's how it continues. All the rest of Acts then traces the explosion of the gospel into the Roman Empire. And Acts ends at Acts chapter 28 with the Apostle Paul going to Rome, to stand trial before Caesar, and to be a witness to Emperor Caesar about the King of Kings, and to tell him who the real king is. You know? And that's where it ends. Well, it ends in the Bible there, but it's continued. That same story has continued. And so here we sit today in a church, because somewhere along the way, Somebody, the gospel went into Europe, and the gospel went into Asia, and the gospel's gone into Africa, and especially in the last 200 years in the era of modern missions, uh, the, the gospel has gone and is continuing to go so many places. The gospel is preached. People believe. They form a church. That church starts growing up, and that church starts going out and preaching, and then people believe, and then they gathered into a church, and it's, you know, the gospel and the church is like a virus in the world, except instead of killing you, it makes you alive. And it's moving throughout the world, and that has continued to happen and will continue to happen until the Lord returns. So we need to be thinking about this outward dimension. You know, it start, start in Jerusalem. Start where you are. 
Start in your homeroom in school. Start with your golf foursome. You know, start with your team at work. Start with, with the mom next door. Start with the, the lady next to you at Linden Ponds. You know, start where you are. That's Jerusalem. And, and start thinking, how could the Lord use me here to be his witness? I, I don't even know, but Lord, Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me, empower me, all that. And, and you can do it. Uh, there's one of our growth groups, and we've been talking about our growth groups and encouraging you to get involved in a growth group this fall if you're not involved in some other Christian fellowship. Um, and, and one of our growth groups is in the, the town of Hull. That's all people from Hull, and they're, they get together. And one of the things they're trying to figure out is how do we reach Hull with the gospel more? Do you, do you know, by the way, how many uh, evangelical gospel churches there are in the town of Hull? Zero. What? What country am I in? Oh, this is America. I thought we're all, you know. Wow. Evangelical kind of Protestant gospel church is zero. And, and so these, you know, the people in Hull are like, we've we got to start with Hull. But it's not just Hull. I'm not picking on Hull. It's like take that Google map and, you know, stretch it out and look at the south shore of Boston. Look at New England. And, okay, there's another town, and it has one gospel church. There's another town. It has two gospel churches, you know, for 20,000 people. I mean, that's, that's really small if you think about it. Uh, if you look at church attendance, just raw church attendance for uh, the states of New England, you, you find that we have the lowest church attendance of anywhere in the nation. It's anywhere from like 11% to maybe up to 15, depending on, you know, whether, what state you're looking at specifically. Um, and, and, and by the way, that's including all church attendance. That's like anyone going to anything anywhere that might be considered a house of worship. So that's like everything. If, if you reduce it down to, okay, evangelical churches, gospel churches in that tradition, you're now down to about 2 to 3%. You know, it's like, wow, this is a really needy area for the gospel. That's amazing, 2 to 3%. And that's just people going to church. I mean, who knows who really is saved and knows the Lord, right? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll only know that at the, day, the last day. But the point is, you know, as far as you can measure those kinds of things, that's, that's amazing, 2 to 3%. That's why, I don't know if you're aware of this, I don't know how much this is on your radar, but there are, you know, Christian ministries and churches all around America who are sending people into New England to try to start churches. It's, it's like they're just throwing the, throwing the soldiers at Normandy, just throwing them in. Some of them make it, some guys don't. But they're coming, and they're trying. I got an email last week from some guy I don't even know. He's like, hey, I'm just graduating from seminary. I saw you're going to be speaking at some conference in New England. I want to plant a church there. What do I do? And I'm just like, I don't know what you do. <laughs> this is New England. I'm not sure. There isn't a pat answer. So, uh, you know, so I was talking to him. There, there's a big conference that's coming here next month. Uh, it's put on by the Gospel Coalition. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Gospel Coalition. It's a, a, a coalition of coalition of people who are all trying to advance the gospel in the country and bring all different evangelicals together to work together for the gospel. Um, and, and they're having a conference here in October, and John Piper is coming to speak, and Tim Keller, and, uh, and you, you can sign up. I think seats are almost gone, but you can still probably get a, get a ticket to it. But, you know, why are they coming to New England? Because everyone around the country knows our area needs the gospel so badly. But here's the cool thing. You've got all these people coming in, which is great. But you're the natives. You're the indigenous population. 
You're the ones who drop your ahs and move your ahs to the ends of other words that don't have an R, but you put it there. You know, you're the ones who were rooting for the Red Sox long before it was hip. You're the ones who went through the blizzard of 78. You're the, you're the real thing. You're legit. And so praise God for people who want to come here and try to share the gospel. And praise God double for the people who are here and, and who, are, who know New England and who know how to drive around situate without getting lost. And, you know, the real thing. You're the real thing. And so God has put you so strategically in such a needy area. It's awesome. But we can't stop in New England because we've got to go to the ends of the earth. That's far away. Got to go to the ends of the earth. You know, we have to have a heart for the ends of the earth. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us a heart for all peoples. You know, I watched on the news this week, and there's all these attacks on the, uh, the embassies. You know, it's a terrible thing. Our embassy is being attacked as Americans. It doesn't make any sense, you know, and Tunisia and Sudan and Egypt and Libya and Yemen and all these threats. And, you know, as, as an American, you know, just this is kind of the American perspective, you, you see those news reports. It just makes no sense. You're like, why, do you do, why would you do that? You know, it, it's so far removed from where our heads are at to, to get engaged in that kind of just kind of crazy rioting violence. And we try to understand it, and you know, maybe as American, we get different feelings like fear, anger, befuddlement. But as Christians, there should be something rising up in us that dwarfs all those other feelings. And, and there should be an impulse that kind of drowns out those other impulses in our souls. And that the impulse should be, man, they need the gospel there. Oh, they need the gospel in Tunisia. Oh, they need the gospel more in Egypt. Just like I need the gospel. Just like I was, you know, an angry person or a selfish person or a whatever. And God saved me. They need the same thing I need. You know, we need the gospel. Because bottom line, they're sinners in need of a savior. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. We need God to work in all of our hearts. So we need to pray. We need to pray for people to go. We have our missions conference coming up next month. And I'm, I'm starting to pray now that, that God might call somebody from our church to go to a hard place for the gospel. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know what God's going to do. I can't make it happen. I can't orchestrate it. I'm just going to pray for it. I'm gonna, maybe it's me. Maybe I better be careful how I pray. But God might call one of us to go to a hard place for the gospel. Our church needs to send some courageous people out. So I'm going to pray for that. Maybe you'll join me. But the cool thing about the age in which we live is to go to the ends of the earth, sometimes you just have to walk across the street. Because in this era of globalization and urbanization and the technological connections through the internet, the world's like all shaken up. Like the snow globe has been all shaken up and all the different peoples are floating all over. And people from all different countries are coming to America and going other places. There's, it's such a time of ethnic diversity and international diversity is happening as people move and populations shift and travel. And you can often reach the ends of the earth at the person next door or at the bus stop or the person next to you at work. And there's a lady in our church um, named Nancy, Nancy Petrowski, and she, she has a heart for Muslims. 
And she, she just, whatever, God's put that on her heart to share the gospel with Muslims and to love them and to try to tell them about Jesus, not just a, uh, a prophet, but a savior. And uh, she, she's been on a mission trip to Iraq. She's been on a mission trip, I think, I think to Jordan, is that right? Or, yeah, anyway. Yeah, so she, she's been there. And, uh, but she also has a heart for Muslims here. She says, you know, there's Muslims here in America. Just the other day, she, uh, she was just telling me the story this week, but I, apparently she got into a conversation with... Um, a guy, and she, this is her starter. She said, hey, I love your accent. Where are you from? That's a great line. I ain't going to write that on my hand. <laughs> I forget one line. But I love your accent. Where are you from? Let's just all remember that. I love your accent. Where are you from? Great starter. And the guy's like, ah, and they talk. He was from Tunisia, which is one of those places where our embassy's getting smashed up. And so she talked to him, and Chatted for a while, and after a little bit in the conversation, he apparently said something to the effect of, you know, I've been here in America for four months, and you're the first American who's spoken to me. Like, it's really not that hard. It's kind of easy. You just start a conversation with somebody, and you know how, it's, who knows where it'll go. A lot of people in other places around the world are often far more open to talking about religion than New Englanders are. So you might find it even easier to have a conversation. Okay, visualize this. Your apartment, your cape, your colonial, dinner, you, Tunisian family. It's really not rocket science. You can do it. Let the Holy Spirit take you places you might not have gone otherwise. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus Christ came and paid the redemption price for a people from every tribe, language, and nation. Jesus Christ was buried for them and he rose for their justification Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, and from there, he poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit on this people that he's gathering. And he's in heaven right now interceding for this people. And someday he's coming back for his people. And in the meantime, he's given us the incredible privilege of being the ones who go out and speak about him to gather the people in. May God give us boldness. May our church be a growing church, both up into Christ, but also out into the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us great boldness, great compassion. Lord, we we pray that we would have such excitement about the kingdom of heaven and about your gospel that it it might even just... Uh, drown out whatever other impulses and fears and sentiments might we have. Lord, I pray, open doors for us. Give us opportunities to reach out. Lord, make us alert. Help us not to be in such a fog with our own worries that we miss people right in front of our face, that a simple conversation might lead somewhere for your glory. So, Lord, give us hearts Give us eyes and ears. Lord, I do pray, call people from our church to go across the street. God, I'm praying that you would call somebody or a family from this church to go across the world. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts as a church 
Oh, Lord, help us not to be like that Jerusalem church that was so full and so blessed but never went out. God, I pray that it wouldn't take a, a big cataclysmic persecution to get, get us moving. And so, Lord, use us, we pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.